So the last two sermons I preached were on adultery, and today I get divorce. So um, uh, I'm I'm so glad I get these uh, uplifting topics for you. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the elders are like, man, thank you. and these, but these are, they're hot button issues in our society, aren't they? And you know what's interesting is they were hot button issues in Jesus' society as well. Things have not changed much in humanity, have they? Because if we trace things all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what we'll find is that ever since Adam and Eve took their eyes off of the Father, things have been out of whack in our world. And relationships are one of the places where that twistedness manifests itself most readily. When you're close to somebody, it's really easy to hurt them, isn't it? It's easier to hurt someone you're close to than it is someone that you're not close to. And uh, and the Lord wants us to take a look at this today. And and there's a few things I think we need to keep in mind. Um, One, in the passage, if we go back, you know, a few sermons ago, we were talking about the fulfilling of the law, right? And, and, and I got to thinking about this, this whole concept, and I, I believe this passage is really an exposition of what that looks like to fulfill the law. And uh, I, I, just, I, re- I was reminded of a book that was written back in the 1890s by Leo Tolstoy. He wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is Within You. And it's interesting because it's a philosophy book, um, but Tolstoy was a, was, a, was a firm believer in Christ. And within this book, though, he expands on this idea, what would a good society look like on earth? And he came to the conclusion that a good society is marked by the universal love of God. And what it is, is it's the kingdom of God being expressed through us. Now, and, and, of course, he, you, you may recognize the title of his book as a quote directly from Jesus in Luke chapter 17, where he says that, There will be a day when people will be looking for the kingdom of God and they won't say it's here nor there, but they'll say the kingdom of God is within you. Echoing the heart of Jeremiah and the prophecy of Jeremiah, which also said that the Lord would put his word in our hearts. He would write his word on our hearts so that we become a kingdom-oriented people naturally, and that's what Christ was alluding to. And that was the dream that Leo Tolstoy had back in the 1890s. And by the way, that dream got his book banned from his home country of Russia. So sometimes having a great Christian dream doesn't mean that you're going to be popular in your home country. In fact, Jesus as a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. So where the world oftentimes looks to American Christianity for guidance, our own country looks at us as a bunch of fools. And we shouldn't be that surprised when that happens. Several times throughout this passage, we hear Jesus say these words, you have heard it said. What is he doing in that statement? Because again, it happens several times. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. You have said, do not be angry or do not murder. But he says, but I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, that's the same as murder. Do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look upon a woman lustfully, it's the same as committing adultery in your heart. You've heard it said, here we have in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31, you have heard it said, well actually it it was also said, but same same thing. It was also said, by the way, he's piggybacking on the adultery part, which was piggybacking on the anger part. This is all building upon 
the idea of the Beatitudes and what does it look like to be a kingdom person, right? Salt and light, what does that mean? To be a salty person. We spent a lot of time talking about that. To have the flavor of Christ. And Jesus is saying, if you want to taste like a kingdom person, if you want to taste like me, you're going to have to start thinking about things differently than what you've been told in the world. So you have heard it said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Some pretty, uh, pretty straightforward words. Maybe a little more straightforward than the average American wants it to be. What's interesting, though, we... we uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in this country, and I'm a church kid. I grew up around the church. Sometimes I found myself having a moralistic, judgmental attitude towards this country. Anybody else have that problem from time to time? Um, and I think, boy, we are so broken. We are so messed up. Look at all the divorce that's going on. But the, the thing that's interesting is that we talk about all the divorce numbers, and they are high, and they are unacceptable. But do you realize that divorce rates were probably higher in Jesus' day than they are in our day. It was easier to get a divorce in those days than it is today. You didn't have to go to court. A man just had, now women, I'm sorry, <laughs> this didn't work for you. But, but men, if you wanted to put your wife away, all you had to do was write her a notice. I find displeasure in you, hand it to her, and that's it. She's out on the street. She couldn't take you to court. She couldn't take the house. Some of you are like, man... <laughs> Sounds good. No, hey, no, it's not good, okay? Not good. Don't be thinking that way if you're out there thinking, man, I wish. Uh, no. Things are actually a lot better in many ways today. Now, I, I realize, couples, we have those arguments sometimes where we, we, we think, man, this is really hard. I don't know if it's worth it. In our day, it's actually a lot harder to break a marriage than it was then. Almost any reason you could break a marriage. Only the men, though. Now, now, here's the thing. Jesus had a big problem with this on several levels. Uh, obviously, there, there's the issue of, uh, we, we're going to talk a little bit about this, in the kingdom of God, the idea of commitment and, and, uh, and, and mutual love and submission and uh, the word that Bob Mumford used in the book, fidelity, which is a great word. But this idea in the kingdom, it's such an important and critical idea. But we need to understand that, that the reason why Jesus picks this particular issue to expound this idea of what it means to be a kingdom person is because this is near and dear to many of us. We can understand how relationships are hard and how sometimes you want to give up and how sometimes you don't want to put the work in and it's just easier to write a certificate of divorce. Now, I'll say Jesus was, uh, part of the, one of the reasons I think Jesus was really upset here is because there was a lot of exploitation of women in that day. That a man could basically just throw a woman out on the street and, and it, was, it was really his rebellion against God and his desire to get whatever he wanted that, that was the motivator behind that. Which, if that's our motivation, then we're not a repentant person. We're not actually 
an outwardly focused person who's looking to God. We're actually looking to self for satisfaction. So there's, there's an internal problem that, that Jesus is exposing here. Because you can just, can you just hear in the room? In fact, you remember in one of these discourses where Jesus says that, that divorce is not okay. You can't just write your, your wife's certificate of divorce, of divorce in the kingdom. God's not okay with that. And, and some of his disciples are like, well, it's better not to even get married, you know? The hardness of heart around this issue. And in, in Jesus' day, it's in also in our day. People don't want to put the work in. And it exposes something in our hearts. A lack of commitment. A, a lack of fidelity. But there's a way that people tell you to live. And then there's a way that God tells us that we should live, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing here. Jesus says, you've heard it said. Here's what the world says. If you want a divorce, just go get one. No big deal. But that's not the way it is in the kingdom. Because Jesus is concerned about our spiritual well-being. He's concerned about how we're being formed spiritually. And and, and here's the thing. Who we're listening to matters a lot, right? Who we're listening to matters a lot. I would tell you that, that the voice that you are ultimately listening to, whether it's the world or whether it's the Father, will ultimately separate the sheep from the goats in the last days. God's looking for whose heart is with Him, right? And there are certain external, uh, certain external actions which come in line when our hearts are for the Lord. It's not just about outward appearance, obviously. It's about who our heart hears and chooses to follow. And when your heart is hearing the Father, you're ultimately going to follow Him in your actions as well. I want to read this quote from a book that was written by Dallas Willard several years ago called The Great Omission. And it was a book about the lack of Christian discipleship in our world, which is something we're concerned about here in this church too, isn't it? Christian spiritual formation in contrast, he's talking about in contrast, I probably should tell you what he was contrasting that with, with worldly spiritual formation. He talks about a worldly spiritual formation, which is a, a spiritual formation which we see all over, right? It's everywhere. It's, it's in popular books by, um, by Chopra, and it's on Oprah's book club. It's, it's, these are things that a lot of people are reading. They're spiritual books, but they're not necessarily Christian books. And they're, they're basically self-help, but with a spiritual twist. And, basically, and, and we could base them all down. We could boil them all down to this one thing. Try harder, do better, be better. The power is within you to do everything to, and become everything that you desire to be. Make it about yourself. Don't let other people get in your way. These are things that we hear, aren't they? These are things that we're told. You have to find yourself and then passionately pursue yourself. But that's super antithetical to, uh, antithetical to the kingdom of God. It's, it's opposite to the kingdom of God. So Dallas Willard contrast Christian spiritual formation with that worldly spiritual formation. He says, here's what Christian spiritual formation is. It's the redemptive process of forming the inner human so that it takes on the character and inner being of Christ himself. In the degree to which it is successful, the outer life of the individual becomes a natural expression or overflow of the character and teachings of Jesus. But the external manifestation of Christ-likeness is not the focus of the process. See, that's where I think sometimes we get it wrong in 
in, in the way that we, even as Christians, approach it. We start to think, well, it's about, it's about what I do primarily. So if I do all the right things, but my heart's still off, well, I, I'm, I'm probably I'm doing okay. And now, I know we say this often, that it's not, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Being precedes doing. Who you are, your, your identity with the Father comes before what you do. And that's what Christ is looking for. He's looking for a natural expression of the kingdom. He's not looking for a forced one. Because if you have a natural expression of the kingdom of God coming out of your life, what it means is your heart is being transformed. You're not just beating your body and your actions into submission. That's miserable, by the way. Being, you know, obeying God just because you have to is miserable. But obeying God because you want to is life. So he goes on, Willard goes on, and he says uh, about the, uh, the, physical, the external manifestation, manifestation of Christ's likeness. He says, not the, the focus of the process. And when it is made, the main emphasis of the process will be defeated, falling into crushing legalisms and uh, perichai, a word I don't even want, it's a long word. Um, le- let's just legalism, let's leave it there. Until Christ is formed in you, quoting out of Galatians, until Christ is formed in you, is the eternal watchword of Christian spiritual formation, fortified by the assurance that the letter of the law kills, but the spirit of the law gives life, quoting out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, we need to understand this, this, this concept is, is really important because I would believe, like me personally, uh, I, I love my upbringing in church. I'm grateful that I grew up in the church, but I think people who grew up around church, uh, we probably have more of a bend towards legalism than others. Because, you know, as kids, we were checking off those boxes on our Sunday school card, you know, and we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Man, yeah, I read my Bible this week. Yeah, I gave my tithe. You know, and, and go me. Look, God, you see what I'm doing for you? You know, anybody ever feel that in you? Like, I feel it welling up in me sometimes. I, when I'm doing good works, I'm like, God, you must be proud of me today. <laughs> I did some good stuff. And uh, I forget that his, he's proud of me, not based on what I do, but based on who I am in Christ. I'm a son, you know? Like, like today, Reuben did some goofy stuff this morning, you know? Like, I'm glad he's not here. I don't want to embarrass him in person. But he did some goofy stuff. And he's a boy, and sometimes boys do goofy stuff. And, and you know, I had to, I had to discipline him this morning. <laughs> and, uh, but you know that I, I'm still super proud of that kid. Why? Because he is my kid. He can, be, he can do all kinds of dumb and goofy stuff. But, but, at this, but when he comes back, I still, I'm going to give him a big hug. And I'm going to say, I love you. You're my son, and I'm proud that you're my boy. I'm glad I'm your dad, right? And the father has that heart towards us, too, if we're his children. Our, look, our sins are washed. That part's done. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he didn't mean we're going to have to do this again, or, or you know, you're going to have to pick up your cross and do the same thing. No, when we take up our cross, we're, what we're doing is we're following Christ, but we're not going to the hill to be crucified. We're, we're banking on the fact that he was crucified in our place. Jesus reminds us that the world has some particular teachings on a lot of things. 
that are really about behavior modification, but don't really say much about heart change. So right here on marriage and divorce, we've got that. Don't commit adultery. (laughs) You know, don't commit the act of adultery. But, you know, um, I was listening to a podcast this week, and it's, it's a really funny podcast if you're into into church humor. It's called The Happy Rant, and these guys are, um, it's Barnabas Piper, who's John Piper's kid. He always has all these things about being a pastor's kid, and, um, and then it's a guy who's a university professor, and another guy who's a pastor, and they all have this great sense of humor, and they're hilarious. But, uh, but, but this past week, they were, they were talking about growing up in uh, evangelical culture of the 90s, and, of course, I'm like, yeah, I'm here for this because that's, that's me. I grew up in that. They were talking about uh, the True Love Waits education. And he said one of his pastors used to say, hey, you know, what does it mean that you're not to look upon a woman lustfully? He's like, hey, man, the first look is free, but the second one's going to cost you something. I'm like, hang on just a minute. They were talking about how ridiculous that statement was and the whole idea. It's like, man, it, it's, it's, it, that's not the point of these statements here. The point of these statements is that we want our hearts to be in, in a good place and so aligned with the heart and character of the Father that we're able to look upon another person. We don't have to have lust in our heart, right? There's something about us that's being changed and transformed. But if we're just talking about the, the act, I mean, there are a lot of people who haven't committed adultery, like physically, but the reality is the heart adultery is all over the place. It's prevalent. I mean, you can get on your phone and look up whatever you want right now, commit adultery in your heart, and, and, and you haven't technically, and I hate that, by the way, you haven't technically committed adultery. I hate that. When, when you would say, well, I, I didn't technically do it. I just thought about it. No, that, no according to Jesus, it, it's so much further than that. Because we're talking about what's inside of us. Now, if we want, if, if, if like Tolstoy wrote in his book, the kingdom of God is within you. Because Jesus said the kingdom of God would be within all of us. We carry something of the kingdom. Now, think about this for a minute. If, if you're a kingdom person and you've been given that, that, that power of the kingdom of God in you with the Holy Spirit in his presence and you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, your sins are clean, you are no longer held accountable for your sins, past, present, or future. You're free from that. That weight is no longer on you. And those things are true in your life. Just like Paul says, why in the world would we want to go back and experience things like they were before we had all that? We have truth. We see the light. We see the reality of what the kingdom of God is like and the way that God is transforming us. So the idea here is that the new motivation is an internal factor and not an external one. Societal pressure may keep me from from physically committing adultery. Maybe from getting a divorce too. If you're in a church community and you think, boy, what are people going to think? I might lose my friends. I don't. Societal pressure may keep me from those things. But the only thing that will give me the true motivation to avoid those things is knowing Christ. And having the kingdom of God blooming in my heart, my motivation is going to be different. Now, I, uh, I hear people say often things like, well, uh, I just wasn't happy in, in that marriage. 
or I just couldn't be myself with that person. But what about the other person? Most of the time when you have these things breaking down, it's, it's, you're hearing people say, well, I this or me this. I, I love this thing, uh, in, uh, this quote in, in this book. Um, Bob Mumford, he writes, most marriage problems are full of the husband's rebellion and the wife's resentment and both's independence saying, I don't have to take that. It's the great me monster, isn't it? It's the great I. And see, that's what the kingdom is trying to teach us to avoid. It's not that I don't matter. You matter. We all matter as individuals. But the reality is in the kingdom of God, we're just so naturally, mutually submissive to one another that it's like a big dance. And everybody is just good there. Like everyone's okay because we're all served. We don't have to reach out and take things for ourselves. It's just, it's just there. I once heard someone uh, give a, a depiction of what hell might be like and what heaven might be like. And they say hell is the kind of place where there's plenty of food, but all you have are these giant forks and you have to feed one another, but everyone's too selfish to feed the other person. And heaven's the kind of place where maybe it's the exact same thing in some ways, but everyone can't wait to feed the other person. Because our hearts are so turned outward in repentance. Okay, we've been talking about this the whole time. The chief problem here is that humanity has become so focused on self that we can't see past ourselves. We're so self-absorbed and self-obsessed. All we can think about is how I can get mine before I die. And what Jesus is trying to get us to do is look way beyond that to something bigger. And um, let's, let's think about the character and nature of God for a minute. Because I think that's really important for us to really understand. I mean, if, 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 our, if our doing should flow out of our being, we have to have the right identity, right? And God said that he made us in his image. And so proper identity, we need to know who God is so we can understand who we are. But, but who is God? We see in this passage... A couple of things. I think we see that God is a just God. Now, what is justice? I want to define this a minute because justice really means that things are in balance. There's no inequity. There's perfect unity and justice. Right? Everything is just lined out just as it should be. So it's okay, by the way, for us to talk about injustice as Christians. In fact, we ought to point out injustice when we see it. Where are the imbalanced measures Because here's the thing, Christ came to bring perfect justice in the world. But he he brings it by absorbing the penalty in himself. And then extending mercy to all of us who are in him. So within the character and nature of God, within the Godhead, let's think about the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's perfect, eternal unity, harmony, and submission. The Father eternally sending his son, the son and the father eternally sending the Holy Spirit. And none of the persons within the Godhead are looking at the other and saying, I really wish I had your job. Really wish I did what you do. 
You never hear Jesus on the cross being crushed saying, Really, Dad? You couldn't have done this? I would love to be just sitting in the throne room right now, hanging out. Instead, here I am being crushed by your wrath on a cross. You don't hear that kind of entitled attitude from Jesus. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew what he was, what he was called to do, who, who he was called to be, who the Father placed, what the Father placed him there to do. He knew his role, and he, was, he also knew the great good he was going to bring about because he was obedient to the Father. He was just obedient to the Father. Paul says that in, in Philippians chapter 2. He was obedient even to the point of death. He did not view his position within the Trinity of God as something worth grasping, but was willing to put it all down so that he could come down here and take care of our junk. He entered our mess for us, right? Perfect eternal submission. And no complaints. Matter of fact, while he's being crushed, he's looking out at those who are crucifying him, and he says, Father, would you just forgive them? Because they don't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't get it. I mean, what kind of selflessness is that? We can't even put a mask on without complaining that my rights are being infringed. That's the culture that we live in. And Jesus was nailed to a cross. And he was just like, Lord, forgive these people. I mean, look, and, and I'm, not, I'm not here to spark a debate on masks, okay? I, but, but I'm trying to make a point here. We have got to understand that to be kingdom people means that we are a otherly focused people and not a self-focused people. And that's what this is exposing. In Jesus' day, when they were just giving certificates of divorce and saying, bye, they weren't thinking about the other person at all. They weren't thinking about how, how that was going to affect their spouse. It was very self-oriented. And Jesus is saying, we are not going to be that way. It's not the way things are in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, love suffers all things. Right? And we've all read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we know what true love looks like. True love is suffering, people. It's not some Disney princess fantasy where everything just comes together and, 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 and like you died and your prince found you and kissed you and you woke up, you're like, oh, wow, I'm going to marry this dude. That's not what it's like. True love is suffering because I, I, I love that person so much that I'm willing to suffer so that they can thrive. I'm choosing my spouse over myself. And, and divorce is a big issue because by it we prove how little we think of God because we're belittling those that we're supposed to love. You see? And it points to a bigger issue. Now ultimately, ultimately because we're so self-motivated from the Garden of Eden, this, this is a big statement. We've actually divorced God. That's ultimately what we've done. I mean, marriage, now the reason why God uses marriage is because it's an example that's right in front of us, but ultimately we have divorced God because what we said to God when we walked out of that garden is, hey God, I know you've loved us, but we got our own thing going on over here. We don't really need you. We think we can do this better. We just love ourselves too much to be under your thumb. But see, they weren't under God's thumb. They were in a mutually submissive and loving relationship with the Father. The Father gave plenty. They just didn't realize it, and they didn't appreciate it. 
Now, Christ, we know Christ came to shatter the curse of Adam and make a way for us to be free to devote ourselves back to God again. Because the way that we're living, self-centered, divorced from God, is actually destroying us. It's destroying our soul. It's rotting us from the inside out. We said a couple weeks ago, sin is a sign of soul rot. We actively participate in sin or rebellion against the Father because our souls are rotten and we need restoration. You see, we need to be restored to the Father. We need to be reconnected to our life source. Look, what happens to a, a limb on a tree when you cut it off from a tree? It doesn't take very long, does it? Before that, those leaves begin to shrivel and the fruit begins to die. And we, being severed from the Father, by our own doing, by the way, have cut ourselves off from life. And, and apart from the Father, we're just shriveling up and dying. And all of these things, all of these broken things Jesus points out, are signs and symptoms of being severed from the Father. Now, Obviously, God is so good, and he's not left us where we are. So what has God done? What is he doing? He is restoring us through his son, Jesus. Marriage is a beautiful thing. I am blessed to have been married for 15 years, and we haven't killed each other yet. It's awesome. I'm, it's, um, but look, God is, God is so good and kind. Because let me tell you something about our marriage. When, when I came into this marriage with Stacy, we were both uh, pretty raw. <laughs> we were young and dumb. And I mean, we were young and dumb. I can say it right now. We were. But I remember the struggle of those first few years. And it, it, felt, like, it felt like just a, a bumpy road where your tire could fall off at any moment. <laughs> but we were learning. And at some point, we figured something out. We figured out that this whole thing is actually designed to help us look to God. See, we made this big mistake early on. We were, we were trying to find our happiness in each other. It doesn't work too well. Um, you will always be disappointed when you try to find your happiness in another person. But when we, started looking to, when we started actively looking to the Father, in fact, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking very clearly and prophetically to my heart one day. And, and he said, you die for her. You serve her with everything you are, even when she drives you crazy. And I, 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 I kind of argued with the Lord. I was like, I don't, I, I don't really want to do that. I, like, that's not good for me. <laughs> and, and, and I just remember the Father saying, if you do that, this marriage is going to work and you're going to find life. You're going to become the person that I created you to be. And so I committed myself in that moment. I said, okay, all right, Lord, I'm hearing what you're saying. I know I can, I, like, and I, know I, I knew I could do it in his power. Look, I memorized Philippians 4.13 when I was a kid, you know. Like, I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I know I can do this. I can overcome every spiritual mountain in Christ because he is the one who gives me the strength. I have the Holy Spirit. I knew that. But it wasn't in me. And I remember, though, as I obeyed the Lord, even though I didn't really want to in every moment, something started happen, happening. Our, both of our hearts started to soften. And, and I remember one day, it was about five years into our marriage, I remember, I, I just had a moment, just like one of those, you ever have just an epiphany moment where you're just like, wow, I just realized something. I, I just, I was like, 
I really like being married. <laughs> and, that was, and the second thing I realized is I'm a softer person than I used to be. Like, I'm starting to look like Jesus. And I'm, affect, I'm affected still when I, think, when I realize what the Lord has done. God is in the business of forming you and I spiritually so that we are like his son Jesus because he knows that any other way that we live is going to be death for us. So when Jesus says, look, don't get divorced except for marital unfaithfulness, and I even think that we ought to have a stop there and think about what does restoration look like. We don't take divorce lightly. Why? Because divorce is about commitment to another person. It's about love, and it's about unity, and it's about fidelity. And the kingdom of God is the kind of place where commitment and mutual trust rules and reigns. And if we're kingdom people, and we're looking at God and we're saying, Lord, I trust you for my life. I trust you for my, not only my future, but for my present. I trust you, Lord. We're practicing that very tangibly by looking at our spouse and saying, I don't always like you, but I love you. There are going to be moments where you're going to want to walk away because people are frustrating. And the most frustrating people are the people you're closest to because they know how to push your buttons. Okay? Uh, but, but, but here's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to life. He's saying, I want you to practice the ways of the kingdom because in the kingdom, while you were an enemy, Christ died for you. So to quickly walk away from these relationships are actually very anti-kingdom and very much in line with Adam and Eve and the curse. And we don't want to be living that way. When we build our lives on love for God and his love for us, that's a lasting foundation. It's not going to crumble. But when we start to build our lives on what we want and what we can get out of life and what we can get out of a relationship, like, like I got to get out of this marriage because that person's not making me happy and I just got to get out. Now listen, I... I I'm not saying there aren't legitimate times when you need to get out of a marriage. There are legitimate times when there's perpetual abuse, perpetual infidelities. Sometimes you can forgive a person, but they're never going to change. And, and I just, I, I want to encourage you. There, there are times, but, but, I, but it, they're rare. They're very rare. And we need to take this seriously. And we need to do everything that we can in these relationships to exemplify the kingdom of God to a world that desperately needs to see it. But it's not just about the world seeing it through us. It's about our own well-being. We want to be kingdom people. We want to be in alignment with the Father because otherwise, how are we going to live truly joy-filled lives? I found that, that when I live my life in alignment to the Father's will, I'm generally, I'm generally filled with joy. I really am. I may, I'm going to have hard days. You know, I'm going to have hard days. You're going to have hard days. But, like, even in those hard days, it's kind of like just this, there's this silver lining because you're just like, man, God is still good today. And I'm still in his hands. And if this day kills me, I'm going to be in his presence. So really, it's not that bad, you know? Like, heaven sounds kind of good sometimes, you know? Um, 
marriage points us to this greater, this greater good that God's calling us to. Through selfless devotion to Christ, we are actually most free. And through selfless devotion to our spouse, we're practicing living in that freedom. Marriage points us to this concept. When our motivation in marriage is pleasure or happiness, we're going to have a weak marriage. And I think this is important because there, there may be some here or listening who that's kind of where you're at right now. Your, 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 your motivation for your, in your marriage is off and, and you're really struggling. That kind of marriage will often crumble. And it also will leave our lives in shambles. You've seen this. Some of us have experienced it personally. You have the children are experience pain through this. Relatives experience pain. Families are shattered. Nothing good comes from divorce. It's broken. It's, I know we have people in our church right now who are going through this, and they're, they're experiencing that shattered life, and, and it, it's hard. And I want you to know that if you're in that right now, our hearts are with you. We love you. But for those of us who are in marriages that, that can be healthy, listen, let's not go to that place. If we build our marriages on self-sacrifice and mutual submission, we build strong marriages in which children grow into adulthood with a firm foundation and we have a best friend to serve and to be served for, or be served, to, to, to serve us and we serve them back and forth for life. Plus, that person is committed to you and not just to your looks, right? That person is not looking for what they can get out of you. They want to edify you. They love you for who you are and won't stop loving you when you get wrinkles. It's extremely fulfilling to have that kind of love, and it is a love that echoes the kingdom because that's how God loves us. He loves us in our brokenness. He loves us for who we are and believe that we were worthy of his son's blood in order to restore us. So we've, we are a people who have been redeemed and we are being restored, right? All of these ideas. And I, I want to encourage us to continue reading back through this passage. And, and, and take a look at this book if you haven't got a copy yet. We'd love to get you one. It's a great, it's, it's, it's a great exposition of the concepts here. But I want to encourage us to keep going back to this and, and ask the question, am I living in alignment with God's kingdom in the way Jesus is calling me to live in alignment with God's kingdom? And what in my life is keeping me? Is there some, some area in my life I've just refused to repent and submit to the Lord? And so maybe even there's a certain area you're forcing yourself to do the right thing, but it's just a grievous and painful thing. Maybe there's something in your life, you, some, some stone you've left unturned, some repentance that needs to happen. Something you need to submit to the Lord. I imagine we all have something. Life, discipleship is a lifelong experience. It's not something that just immediately happens to us. So we're working through these things. We're always going to find areas we need to repent and believe. But, you know, where the world makes us think that we have to be the center of our own universe <laughs> or that we don't really count unless we are the center of our own universe, Jesus calls us, to make him the center of our universe. And when he's at the center, other people matter way more. And we find ourselves at the bottom of that ladder. And the amazing thing is, when you're at the bottom, you're going to be the happiest and the most joy-filled. 
Because I am accepted by God, I can accept my spouse. I can love my spouse. Even though she's a broken person, I don't expect her to make me happy. I'm happy in Christ. I have everything in Christ. I don't need anything in Christ. I have all that I need. I am everything I need to be in Christ. So I don't have to suck on other people's joy to get mine. So I want to call us to a couple of things because of who we are in Christ and because of who he is. I want to encourage us to, one, commit ourselves to lives marked by selfless and relentless love. Whether that's in a marriage, whether we're just talking about church life, whether we're talking about the way we just treat other people out in the world, we ought to be the most loving people in the world. You know, Christians, we ought to be the last person to chew out the manager at Walmart because something was wrong. Or, or the drive through person at McDonald's because inevitably they put the wrong order in your bag, you know? Um, we ought to be the last person. We ought, to be the, we ought to be the first person when we show up to say, hey, um, hey, this is off, but just be kind about it. And, and, and even if they don't fix it, be like, you know what? I'd rather be offended than to make your day worse than it is. Selfless living. Let's commit ourselves to that. We don't have anything to prove. We've got nothing to prove. We have true inner peace if we're walking with the Lord. Second thing is to be about the serving, not the being served. Most people, most people live their lives with the second thing as the primary. I mean, they'll serve other people, but ultimately it's about them being served. And that is what we're being called away from in this passage. Serve others. Jesus says it is better to give than it is to receive, doesn't he? The third thing, commit to one another like never before because it glorifies God and shows him that we love him when we do that. So within the context of marriage, but we also need to understand that the marriage and the family is the microcosm of the church. Right? And the church is the microcosm of this huge thing that God is building that includes people from all ages who are going to be part of this giant family that's why God calls himself a father. We're family. So we need to have that as our motivation, understanding who we are because of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's pursue the Lord in these ways. Okay. All right. I want to pray for us. And um, I do want to invite you to repentance this morning. If there's something in your life and you're just, it's, the Lord has just laid it bare. You're like, boy. That's a thing that I need, I need some prayer about. I need to confess that to somebody and just, just get that taken care of. When you, I believe the Lord wants to do some spiritual healing today, that, that maybe some people have been living selfishly in some ways, but that's not who you are. And you know that's not who you are because you're a child of the kingdom. And so here we're hearing a call out of that by the Lord. So, um, so here in a moment after I pray over us and we'll do our offering and everything, what we'll do is we'll, we'll just have, um, if Pastor Dwight and Pastor Richard, would you be willing to come up here? And I know, you know, Scott's here. Scott's one of our deacons. Um, we have several, you know, Gloria's over here. She, Gloria's here in person. Yay. And Wilma, we're so happy to have you here. Um, uh, but but they, they, I know that, that um, you know, we would love to have one of these pray for you. You know, Dennis and Susie are prayer warriors. We have several around the room who can pray for you. I would just encourage you to find someone and, and let's just deal with what is going on in our hearts today. If we've got some sin to deal with, let's deal with that. If you need physical healing, we want to pray for you this morning, whatever it might be. So uh, we want to see some people get set free this morning because 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you are doing. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that even though I know I'm a very broken person, that you have not given up on me. And so, Father, help each of us with that mindset to look at other people in a different way. Understanding that one, there was a time when I was your enemy and you pursued me anyway. That maybe we would extend that sort of grace and that sort of mercy to other people around us naturally. Help us, Father. And I pray for marriages that are represented here in this room and watching online. Father, I pray, Lord, for the strengthening of marriages because marriages truly are incredibly important to the moving forward of the church and its mission. Families on mission together. And Father, for those who are feeling a little homeless or orphaned right now, God, I pray that they would experience family here and that our families would be quick to adopt people into this bigger family, but also into individual families as we see those who are hurting and, 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 and children who are fatherless and who need a father. Lord, may we quickly adopt them and say, look, you may not have that, but you have that here. Because God is a father and we are representing him. Lord, we want to be a kingdom people. Help us, Father. Help us to honor the words that you spoke when you preached that Sermon on the Mount. What it looks like to be a kingdom person and to be a person actively working to fulfill the law in our own lives. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.